0: podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. My name is Sadie Rodriguez. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and today I have two other guests from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Ala Aljafri, a pediatric cardiac intensivist, and Subi Shashidaran, a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. They both spoke at the 2020 PCICS virtual meeting in a session called CICU and CV Surgery Real Talk. Conflict is inevitable, combat is optional, and in a panel entitled Making It Work in the Real World. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. I just wanted to have one of you kind of sum for the listeners who couldn't make the virtual meeting in general, what was the theme of this session and why is it important that we explore these themes?
1: I think uh, people management and relationship skills are some of the Toughest things to learn, not taught in training when you're doing your actual medical training or surgical training or whatever it is. And then you're thrown into the real world and you have to work in a complex environment, multidisciplinary, a lot of people making some tough decisions about life or death on people. High stress environment, not the best behaviors of people come out of stressful environments. So one of the things was... How do we work in a stressful environment? How do we be advocates for patients, but at the same time be respectful of each other's opinions? We all know in medical field, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. And so not all opinions may be wrong or right, but uh, coming to a consensus. So that was a theme. How do you behave in a high stress environment? How do you deflate um, and, Inevitable combat situation and make it still something productive for the patient.
2: And specifically, also, how to improve communication because that's usually what deflates these situations. If you have the ability and learned methods of how to communicate among each other between the surgeon, the CICU, physician, and also the anesthesiologist, and everyone also in the team, including families as well. That is huge to improve our communication and decrease the risk of combat, hopefully.
1: It's shown multiple times in multiple different fields, including the craft industry, business industry, that if you have a good team that communicates effectively and has a good relationship, that's the best outcome in whatever we are doing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what we are trying to bring onto our field. Now, pediatric cardiac surgery is, or cardiac surgery in general, is a very highly uh, technical, skilled, high-risk under the microscope field. All outcomes are publicly available, and we have twenty different people managing one patient at a time all the time. So it is such a complex environment. Things like this have to be very thoughtful and you have to work on this also. This happens to be one of the skill sets you'll have to develop as a provider.
0: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you both mentioned the words communication and a quote unquote good team. So Dr. Waller was a part of the session earlier, she's a professor of management and professor of medical education at Texas Christian University and in her presentation she was talking a little bit about the fallacies of what makes a good team. One fallacy she mentioned was the group hug idea. So the idea that teams that get along well are high performers. And um, the other one was the dream team. So you create a team of a bunch of high performing individuals and assume that the whole team will reflect in that way. Do you want to share any of your comments on what makes a good team in your experience or, or a bad team?
2: I'll let go first. I think uh, definitely high performance is needed, but it's not actually the only thing. It's actually not the thing that's going to make this team successful. This hug team, I like it, actually, because you do need to have good work relationship. You need to understand each other. Eventually, it almost becomes like, it's very weird to say this, but it almost becomes like a marriage of some sort between us because we have to know how I can actually speak his or her language as a, a surgeon, and she also needs to speak my language. I need to let go of certain things that are okay to let go of to achieve a goal, which is eventually the best of, for this patient. If we understand this is all for the patient, we'll let go of our egos always outside this door. And then I think what Met helps with making this team become a dream team.
1: and you- I were talking about this session before, what i Mentioned one of my favorite quotes to her from Ruth Bader Ginsburg You know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And I find it that, you know, having the five years of experience, developing your judgment, all that has happened, but still the rule of eighty-twenty 20 exists. I'm not right all the time. And If I'm not right or if there is a different way, better way, better is the key word. I think you need to have an environment where you're challenged, not threatened, challenged to do better. And the whole key is what Hala is saying. You have to have the relationship where you, everybody in that environment, feels comfortable to voice their opinions, challenge each other's opinions but not feel like you're going to be completely dismissed or disregarded. not respected.
0: Yeah. And how do you feel like we can foster that kind of environment? Well, I mean, this difficult. is my favorite
1: thing in the culture, it's, it's, you know, you can have all the strategies that you want to build, but without the appropriate culture. It'll just eat strategy. That's actually a quote from Michael Ellis from one of her talks, culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I love
2: it. (laughs) Actually, it does have to come from up, down, so from a leader down to the whole team, because that's how you actually can lead and show by example.
1: Yeah, I think there are two key people, I think, in an organization. One is all the top leadership, and the second are people I call influencers. They are not actually holding the leadership position in an organization, but they have key influence, and sometimes even in modifying behaviors of the leaders and the rest of the team. So I think we can utilize both those roles strategically.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is true.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a really good example and can empower some of the people who maybe don't hold a leadership position, but they're looking to find their voice or make a change in their environment. That's a great
2: point. And can I add one thing? Yeah. Also, it's very important to be respectful regardless of how you voice your opinion, how to disagree with another person's opinion, regardless of where you are, either as a leader, somebody who holds a higher position, or one of the junior members. Because this is, again, you're gonna represent to the whole team how we should interact with each other. And actually, at one point, you might find an amazing idea from the most junior person of the whole team. And that's when we are able to actually succeed and become something exceptional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's
1: the culture that word is such a strong thing. It's omnipresent, omnipotent for an organization, but the hardest
2: thing to build. Yeah, it requires a work from the inside out and from up down. Yeah. Uh, But it also, you understand, this is not going to change in one day. Mm -hmm. So that's also something that we have to have an understanding of, but work toward it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. How can we start to build each other up and start to build trust into one another so that we can feel that we have the safety to be transparent or to admit our mistakes, communicate our vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and be well-received.
2: As an intensivist, mm-hmm. specifically being a junior intensivist, I understand their trust is earned. Mm-hmm. So that is something that we all need to understand. Trust is earned. Mm-hmm. I need to understand also or at least try to understand that this is not personal mm. everything we're going through it's not easy because you're gonna find yourself sometimes questioned about your set of skills about your knowledge mm-hmm. that at times it's okay not without being disrespectful though I should not be disrespectful but like step away from this part and allow yourself to have this level of uh, humility that's one and also understand that you're going to earn the trust. But be confident in your own skills. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be shaken when you're actually questioned. Or maybe sometimes it's not the word actually to use, questioned, is when you're maybe doubted, to mm-hmm. be fair. Because that will happen, especially from a surgical colleague. Some, some people are more... Um, they're tougher than others, mm-hmm. and some are going to have different attitude toward the intensivist. And at times it's not okay, but you still have to be confident in your own skill and able to show who you are. Is that fair? Yeah. That fair? And One of my
1: more. mentors, I had asked him a question, and I was personally feeling very down and very lost. Um in a large organization, it can be very easy to be lost. Eventually, a large organization, just like every other aspect of your life, I think, has to have an 80-20 rule. We all don't have to be on the same page all the time, mm-hmm. but 80% of the times we all have to be on the same page, same boat, riding towards the same direction, or whatever it is. Same vision, at least. Same vision. But in my moment of loneliness, insurgents' life can be lonely a lot of times, in a, even in a particular day. I had asked him, you know, I'm not really sure I belong. And the sense of belonging is one of the most important things an employee in any organization wants to feel. And the answer I got was, it's not necessary that you have to feel the sense of belonging all the time. It's not necessary that everyone has to completely understand you. But the obligation rests on you to explain yourself every chance, every opportunity you get to the rest of your team. So I think the onus stays on us that it's not a question, it's an obligation to explain anything that you're doing differently, anything that you're doing and why you're doing. And I completely believe in this shared mental model. We all have to be on the same page about a patient at a time, you know. At that moment okay. things change every second but every second it changes when changes happen that mental model of what I'm doing differently each person the nurse is doing something differently she has to share it with the wherever next level of person it is that's in that organization similarly okay the surgeon changed a whole operative technique got to explain why when how and what next
2: yeah, 100%. 100% shared med model is actually a huge thing that improves our communication between us and the surgeon to an intensivist. If you keep that motto in there and keep sharing your mental model with the surgeon, they will be at least at times at ease. But first of all, you know your patient, which is I think any person would want to, regardless as an intensivist or a surgeon. I don't expect the surgeon to know all the details, but I also don't expect him to expect me to know every tiny detail of his surgery. I should know a lot about what they have done in the OR, but I'm not going to guide it so much, except I'm going to try to help with the decision-making of what is the next step, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to not dictate how they're going to do the shunt which way, Mm -hmm. for example. Is that fair? Yeah. While I want them to have the trust that I know my patient enough to tell them, what is going on, and what we think is the best next step for this patient. But that's going to come with time as well, too. So I don't expect that to happen from the first day we met. Mm -hmm.
1: And at the end of the day, this is all about the patient and the family in our world. They have an expectation that the day they signed the surgical consent or they agreed for the surgery, the surgeon and his team are going to be on the same page and The promise of a good outcome and a reasonable expectation is delivered to them. Mm -hmm. How do we
0: keep up our promise by being on the same boat? So I'm hearing you both say shared mental model is a good way to communicate not just among ourselves, but even building a relationship of trust between an intensivist and a surgeon. Are there any other tools that you have discovered or used in order to build a relationship or heal a fractured relationship? From
1: a surgeon's aspect, the thing that I've learned in my very short time frame as being an attending surgeon. Trying to teach myself patience, for sure. I really understand the fact that everybody is on a different level and you have to be, cannot have the same expectation from everyone at all times. The second thing that I've learned or trying to teach myself I can still improve is talk less, listen more. And, I mean, I feel like I'm saying the same point again. It feels like the more, and it's not just the intensest, even in the operating room. I think the moment it is something out of my, or at the edge of my comfort zone, it doesn't need to have even crossed my comfort zone. I think I need to alert my team to I'm reaching the limits of my comfort with whatever it is. Okay, reentry. Okay, I, I'm in the atria. That's that's not truly a discomfort zone for me, but it is. It could become a discomfort zone, and so the moment something like that happens, I need to let my nurse know that I'm gonna start asking for stitches. I'm, you know, get prepared. I need to tell the anesthesiologist, get your blood ready. You know, I think that's what it is. You preemptively prepare your team for things that are not expected at least.
2: Share the mental model. Yeah. Share the mental model. (laughs) Exactly. I like that. So, one interesting thing. It's easier to, for example, to work with one surgeon Mm -hmm. or two surgeons. But when you have five surgeons, each one of them is totally different. And so we had said that before in the panel. Each one of them is coming from a different program, from a different background, from a different way of doing things. Mm -hmm. So it could be a little bit difficult to deal with especially as a junior intensivist to learn your people so take time it's okay observe listen use the sets of um, tips that you've observed from other senior intensivist uh, take time in observing it's okay say less in the beginning that my like truly advice say less so you can be heard when it matters because if you're somebody who's saying a lot in the beginning, and they don't have that level of trust yet, you're not going to be hurt, and it's going to take longer time to reach the trust level. And I'll hear from Subi. She can say more. You've seen a lot of intensivists at different levels, correct?
1: Yeah, and I think it's uh, um, definitely I've grown and evolved over the process too, right? As uh, When I, uh, I was here in my first year, I, I would erupt at every little thing. Not knowing that you know, no matter what stage in my personal career I am, mm-hmm. the surgeons perceived as a team lead in the heart center. Right. Mm-hmm. So the nurses are watching, the respiratory therapist watching what I'm doing, how I'm reacting, which is a very valuable thing for all junior surgeons to learn early in their career. They can make or break relationships. They can completely demoralize another human being by just raising their eyebrows. So it is every action that you do is being very closely monitored. So I would say the surgeons need to portray exactly how everybody wants. Demoralizing somebody is going to get nothing positive out of it at all. At the end of the day, if my primary goal is for my patient to do well, I need a confident, skilled intensivist to stand next to the patient. I don't want them to keep self-doubting themselves every second. I'm never going to be at the bedside every second. That's mm. not reasonable expectation. My best, my time is best spent in the operating room doing what I do the best. Then there are, then I might Team being demoralized is not helpful for me to do what I do the best. Yeah,
0: no, that's a good point. If you encounter someone, and it could be an intensivist or a surgeon who has a disruptive behavior, uh, what do you? What would be your recommendation on how to deal with that situation? Um, so
1: I am pretty early in my career, but I've had the opportunity to grow a little bit more faster. I would say. So in the beginning of the career, I was ducking and avoiding every conflict situation. I would uh, Avoidance was my strategy. The second phase of my growth as a leader was when I started using humor. It is definitely a great tactic no matter which environment you are in the operating room, if you're in the ICU, if you're in Grocery store, God knows, you know. The third stage where you want your respect, you put in your time, you built your own, you built in your bank with some credits, then you can start being a little more direct. I do think that I stand at disadvantage having carrying the 2X chromosome. I had to stage myself in a certain way to be direct. I If I had come on day one and been direct, I would not have a career.
2: That's you as a surgeon saying that. That's, That's
1: me as a surgeon
2: saying it. I think it even carries a lot more and resonates with uh, probably a female cardiac intensivist. Absolutely. And not to be um, causing like conflict with this discussion. <laughs> but...
0: Please, Please sir, it's it's this important. Is important. No, this is absolutely important. <laughs> now, the di- diversity of cu- uh, inclusion, equality <laughs> session was a huge hit because I think this resonates with so many people. Yeah. You know,
2: being, you know, whether it's a minority racially or religiously, yeah. being yeah. a female. It's actually, it's not the easiest thing to be a female intensivist and be as assertive as you want to be, because mm-hmm. you might be perceived really wrong. Mm-hmm. Either overconfident or argumentative. Uh, it's also there are different personal traits in mm-hmm. each one of us, which should be respected by others. But at times it comes at a disadvantage, which is unfair. I think to be fair, like if you're that is your personality to be a little louder, it's okay. Just own it. I just own it. But the thing is, I don't think it will be well perceived. Mm-hmm. That's the honest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I said earlier about how to say less, I meant it. Also, I just want to clarify this. I don't mean not to say your point. I meant do not like jump at each opportunity to say things, but choose the time to give in your statements and uh, voice your opinion when it matters. Plus, you're actually observed. You're getting evaluated in the beginning by the surgeons, by the nurses, by the family, by the other ICU uh, members. So, is your own trainees. Exactly. Uh-huh. With Everyone is going to start, which is not the easiest thing to be when you're like coming off and starting as an attending. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. Take it slow, and you'll get there. It's fine. But be confident in your own skin and confident in your own knowledge, skills, and I actually do believe that we learn in our first couple of years or more a lot in the beginning. It's like a steep learning curve, even as a junior faculty. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think, Sweetie? Absolutely.
1: I mean, in my personal experience is that I trained in one system. I came to another one large system, which did things completely differently, and I came to another large system, things did things 180 degrees. And then the next year, there was a leadership change, and I learned another large systems whole way. So even as a surgeon, I know that there are so many different ways of doing things. So then why bother about how an intensivist does something here and there? I have to give you guys, for me, it's all about the 10,000-foot view. Mm And I'm leaving the operating room with minimal or no residual lesions. The patient should have an expected t- time of getting out of the hospital. Whether they spend five days in the ICU, one day in the floor, whether they spend two days in the ICU, five days in the floor, it doesn't matter to me if they're tracking along plus or minus
0: 20%.
1: So I really don't want to be in the nitty-gritty of everything. I, I, I'll i give you one clinical example. We talked about, Allah and I had talked about this. Tetralogy has million different ways of repairing technology. I learned a very new way in my third year of being a faculty. It was something completely dramatically different. I had never heard of it. The institution I'm working at didn't hear about it. But the obligation was on the surgeon to explain that to everybody, right? Okay, I'm doing a completely different repair. And this is why I'm going to. I would prefer you to use these kind of drip management. And once you explain it the first time, you don't really need to do it. The after that, maybe a reminder here and there. Agreed. But I think that's kind of the. That's my only should be my only input in that patient's post-operative course. Other than that, everything else it's a tetralogy repair. It's a six month old patient should be gone home in five or six days <laughs> yeah. I
0: don't really need to manage anything else, yeah, just coming back to your shared mental model and why what you think is important, and then trusting that the team can manage the
2: rest, right. Now this is jumping to a previous question you've asked. It just came to my mind. Mm -hmm. I think that's the ADD of an intensivist. (laughs) Um, You said how to avoid combat at times or conflicts, especially if somebody had a disruptive uh, behavior. Mm -hmm. One of the important things, uh, we actually have been talking about it, is how to take these conflicts Mm -hmm. from a large setting or audience Mm -hmm. to a smaller group. Mm -hmm. Because that will take a lot from this the heat Mm -hmm. of the discussions and sometimes the egos could be too inflated Mm -hmm. uh, in a large setting or with a lot of audience in there so you want to take that away take it to a smaller group discussions if there is a huge uh, conflict in how we want to manage this patient it's okay to sometimes respectfully disagree and leave it there and do not keep going at it and have another discussion in a little bit, when people are look calm, and have a better discussion. Utilize another surgeon to help you with delivering your point. Or a senior intensivist who had earned already the trust of the other surgeon that you want to deliver the point to. And at times it's just a nice sitting down by showing the data and looking up at everything might just deliver the point. But it's okay. You're gonna we're gonna learn how to deliver the point to Person A versus Person B. Yeah, I think that's a great point, actually, that you bring up.
0: And I think sometimes our two groups see each other as opposition. When really, I have seen exactly from you two an allyship, and I have seen you know Subi soliciting advice uh, from Ala on patient them. management, as well as Ala grabbing Subi to help her advocate for a, a certain perspective. And I, I think that's a beautiful relationship that you two have for the rest of us. I appreciate it. Thank you for all of your input. And just to end on a lifting note, I'll just ask each of you, what are the values that you, um, or the traits, the characteristics, the behaviors, the interactions that you value most from from your intensivist colleagues, Subi, and from your cardiac surgeon colleagues, uh, Ala?
1: I'll let you start. For the surgeon, it is, I think, communication. What level of communication is a mutual understanding? I think each individual surgeon is a little different. Each individual intensivist is different. And also, I think with the, when the relationship grows and you start identifying each person's comfort level, what are their limits of, you know, extents of their limits or whatever. So I think that's definitely the key. To me, like I mentioned before, I'm looking at everything from a distance. Is there a forward progress? I'm I'm very focused on the 10,000-foot view because I have other things to do. I don't want to be – I'm not a good intensivist, and I should not be doing that job. (laughs) I'm a very good surgeon, and I should focus on that. But at the same time, I have the responsibility of making sure the patient has to go home and you know, the 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 deal, the pact that was made between me and my parents has to be delivered in some way. Mm-hmm. So I think the key for me is communication of deviances. I think um, trust, that comfort level. I'd mentioned to somebody, you know, the one of the Favourite traits I have about an intensivist is when I start sleeping at night <laughs> They're nice. all I know that you know my automatically my subconscious has told
0: me you can go to sleep <laughs> Relaxed <laughs> yes okay,
2: so. um, I really first of all I respect everything that you said and that's really nice of you because specifically to say I'm not an intensivist and that's nothing against you. I respect okay. you as a surgeon But sometimes that's what happens, that we meddle in each other's work, which is okay, as long as we're all aiming to help the patient and get to that goal. But what I would love in my um, surgeon, first, um, amazing communication, transparency. I want you to tell me what happened in the OR and be honest with me about it so I can actually... Anticipate and know what could happen. The other thing, definitely, everyone would love to have a great, skilled surgeon. Uh, respect is very much needed. And openness to hear a difference and different opinion of how to approach things. And honestly, it's not to inflate or anything, but I do find all of these things in Suvi So I appreciate it. <laughs> truthfully, well, I celebrate and much. congratulate you
0: both. And thank, thank you for your valuable input. I appreciate thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you again, Drs. Al Jaffrey and Shashidaran, for speaking with us today about conflict management. We enjoyed having you on our podcast, and thank you to our listeners for listening. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website at PCICS.org, where you can find more information on how to become a member and enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Common Creative 3.0 attribution license.